The delay between FDA authorization and the granting of Medicare coverage for new medical devices has been a target for reform in recent years. In June 2023, CMS proposed the transitional coverage for emerging technologies pathway with a goal of expediting access to breakthrough devices. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Robert Yeh, a professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School and director of the Smith Center for Outcomes Research at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. Dr. Yeh has co-authored a perspective article about Medicare coverage for emerging technologies. Dr. Yeh, how do insurers, including Medicare, typically decide which medical devices they'll cover after the products are approved? It's a really important question and probably a question that many people don't know the answer to. It turns out that, for one thing, many devices are in fact ultimately not covered through CMS and there are devices that we use every day that are paid for not by CMS or covered by insurance, but just taken as part of the cost of doing business at hospitals and institutions. But for a large number of other devices, there are sort of two general broad pathways which coverage might be attained. One is the majority of these devices get covered through decisions that are made locally through local coverage determinations or LCDs. And these happen and are really mediated by these sort of private Medicare administrative contractor organizations within 12 geographic distributions. And so these local coverage decisions are made on the basis of applications that are submitted to them through manufacturers of these devices. For a smaller number of devices, there are national coverage decisions that are made or national coverage determinations, in which case CMS can make a ruling about covering a certain device for the entire country. So your perspective article focuses specifically on so-called breakthrough devices. What does the breakthrough designation entail and what types of products have been authorized as breakthrough devices? Breakthrough devices really came into the nomenclature around 2016 when FDA created this new designation for devices that really met an unmet need. So devices for which there were really not good alternatives that addressed life-threatening, debilitating conditions. And what the concern was was that these devices needed potentially an expedited pathway for regulatory approval. And that's when breakthrough devices sort of came into existence, at least the designation. Now, thus far, as of June of this year, almost 900 devices have been granted breakthrough designations, about 150 to 200 annually. And about 80 of these, a little more than 80, have ultimately received authorization. Now, of these devices, it turns out that cardiovascular devices account for the plurality with nearly 200 of the devices being cardiovascular in nature. You write that most new devices lack any form of Medicare coverage five years after authorization, and many stakeholders have called for reforms to the system for that reason. So you spoke about 2016. Going back to 2016, could you first explain what actions the Trump administration took in this area and how those efforts turned out? I think going back after the designation of breakthrough devices was created, I think that there were still residual questions about how were these breakthrough devices, which really addressed how devices were going to be approved and evaluated in the pre-market setting, how are they ultimately going to be covered? And as you know, it's not only important that devices be approved for use, but the fact of the matter is that Medicare coverage or insurance coverage for these devices really helps promote access to make it financially tenable for a healthcare organization to offer these devices to patients. Initially, it was unclear how these devices were going to be reimbursed, but there was a proposal that occurred during the Trump administration, which was called the Medicare Coverage of Innovative Technologies Proposal, MCIT, M-C-I-T. And what this proposal stated was that for all breakthrough devices, there would be essentially guaranteed automatic coverage for the first four years after approval. 
And so this represented a really profound change of how early coverage decisions were going to be made. In this case, basically, it removed CMS's ability to make determinations or to make individualized decisions about early coverage periods in the first four years. That proposal, the MSIP proposal, was very controversial, I would say. It was something that was, I think, very much supported by the medical device industry. It took a lot of, certainly, the uncertainty around what was going to happen. At the same time, there was concern both about the potential for approval of devices with limited clinical data that were maybe not supportive of efficacy and safety or necessariness of these devices for the Medicare population specifically. And shortly after the change of the administrations, when the Biden administration took over, the MSIP ruling was actually repealed, which actually set the stage for TSET, which is the Transitional Coverage for Emerging Technologies proposal, which we're talking about. And then what exactly does that proposal entail? Well, I think first and foremost, the proposal really puts Medicare back into having a central role in the evaluation of evidence. And so what this proposal states is that for a limited number of devices each year, manufacturers have the option to sort of initiate conversations with CMS prior to approval, as early as a year before approval, to think about what the evidentiary requirements will be to meet Medicare coverage, early Medicare coverage decisions. If companies opt to enter that pathway, then they are assured of a national coverage decision for their device within six months after approval. So the idea here is to expedite the decision time between authorization by the FDA and coverage by CMS to hopefully get access to devices earlier in the process. But it also gives CMS the ability to evaluate and give feedback as to what the evidentiary requirements will be post-approval. And so in this way, CMS is, I think, committed to working with manufacturers to think about study designs, which will ultimately lead them to say that there's been sufficient evidence to support coverage for these devices. So a two-part question, what would be the benefits of this kind of approach? And then you say in your article that the ability of this new pathway to achieve its objectives may be limited. So what do you see as the proposal's weaknesses? Well, the benefits of this approach are that it is true that there will be some devices that may be approved in which our understanding of whether or not the device is reasonable and necessary as the standard is for Medicare for coverage, our understanding of that may be limited in the Medicare population. And so a guaranteed coverage for these devices may not be appropriate in some cases. So here, the ability for CMS to really be at the table and say, think about what's important and advocate for their patient population that they cover, I think is an important step forward. At the same time, CMS is committed to, in their statement, being open to novel study designs, study designs that employ real-world data that are, quote-unquote, fit for purpose. And they're actually in the process of sort of improving their own capabilities internally for how better evaluating what studies like this should look like. The limitations of this approach, it's not clear how wide an impact this will have. At the outset, only five devices per year are going to go through this pathway. There was a similar, I think, type of pathway where manufacturers could engage with both CMS and FDA prior to approval called the parallel review pathway. This pathway was heavily undersubscribed before, so there's no guarantee that TSET, this pathway, this new pathway proposed, will be subscribed again this time because there are risks that manufacturers take on when they start having conversations with CMS prior to FDA approval that they may not be willing to take. Lastly, it's not clear that CMS is because of the limited number of devices that they're going to evaluate through this pathway, that's really a consequence in part 
by the limited resources that CMS has to really get into the game of being an organization that is in the evidence evaluation business. I mean, I think that potentially there are not enough staffing and resources committed at present to guarantee that this pathway could be broadened and generalized to a larger number of breakthrough devices. So finally, and pursuing that line of thought, you say in your article that the proposed pathway shortcomings may reflect the limitations of implementing reforms by regulation rather than legislation. So what could legislation achieve that regulation can't? And what are the prospects for legislation in this area? Yeah, really important question. Legislation, of course, has the benefit of being more durable. I mean, one thing that we've learned from what happens when CMS can sort of create programs through rulemaking is that the rules can change. And they changed, for example, when MSIT was repealed. I mean, this was a program that I think the industry had expectations for, and then very quickly it turned on a dime. And that doesn't happen in the same way with legislation. So having industry and regulators have a clear set of expectations and the public having a clear set of expectations it's generally going to be more stable if things are done through legislation rather than rulemaking. The flip side of that is legislation is difficult. There were a number of times where MSIT was attempted to be sort of codified through Congress congressional legislation, and those efforts failed each time. And I think given all everybody knows about the current state of polarization in Congress, it's difficult to imagine there being a clear consensus on this issue as what a law ought to look like. So I think for the time being, rulemaking is what we're stuck with, as what we have. And I think industry, physicians, healthcare organizations should be prepared to respond to the fact that this is going to be the dominant strategy by which rules are made. Thank you, Dr. Ye.